Welcome back, everyone, to another Bastards Red Sox Hot Stove edition of the podcast. I am Terry Cushman, and what you just heard is the theme to Top Gun. Some of you guys probably figured that out right away. One of the most iconic movies of the 1980s and perhaps of all time. So for those of you who were trying to figure it out, that's what it was. I played that because uh, I'm solo tonight. I'm going to do another uh, episode. It'll probably be the last one like it uh, for at least this winter. But if I were an MLB player, that would be my walk-up song to the plate. I just, I love the guitaring. It's a very dramatic song and uh, I don't know. I just love it. So that's the one I would pick. And fun, funny story. I, I had a dream once and, uh, and that's not a pun, by the way, we did just have Martin Luther King day, his dream much bigger than mine. And, uh, he had his probably while he was awake. I had mine, uh, when I was in bed sleeping, but, um, it, it was that I was, in the Red Sox minor leagues, and I'd been called up to play with the big club. And uh, in the game, I hit a home run. And then after, they said, nice job, kid. We're sending you back down to the minors. And I wasn't even mad. I was just obsessed with making sure that home run went in the record books that I had hit a home run at Fenway Park in the major leagues. So kind of a, a dorky story to share with you, but it was a dream I had like a few years ago. And, you know, one of those you just kind of remember for the rest of your life. I, my earliest dream ever since we're being weird, um, I, I got into like I was four years old and I had a dream that I got into a pillow fight with a grizzly bear. But anyway, let's let's get off of that. Um, so Craig Breslow had a very revealing interview with the Boston Globe's Pete Abraham, uh, yesterday, or that's when the, the article was published and it caused an uproar on Red Sox Twitter and Ownership is public enemy number one, and, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Lots of uh, frustration hurled at them, and I'm going to get into that. But before I do, I want to go back to those last couple of shows I did solo, which were right around Christmas time, and... I just want to point out again how obsessed I was with the fact that 10 highly respected executives not only didn't want the Red Sox job, but didn't even want to interview for it, said no thank you. And I'm going to get to those names in a second, but I want to point out one other thing. And I haven't pointed this out ever. I haven't seen anyone else really talk about it. But it's extremely rare for the Red Sox to cast a wide search like they did this winter 
to find an executive to lead their front office. And what I mean by that is if you go back to Theo Epstein, who was the first GM of the John Henry era, he bought the team in 2001, 2002, somewhere around then. And Epstein was essentially installed into the GM position right after. And he was a protege of Larry Lacchino. So Epstein was an internal guy and basically promoted to be the GM of the Boston Red Sox. He goes on to make history, reverses an 86-year curse, wins it again in 2007. His time runs up. You know, all things kind of run their course. Ben Sherrington gets the job after him. He was an internal guy, was basically the farm director under Epstein. A few years later, Dave Dombrowski gets fired by the Detroit Tigers right around the trade deadline. And then in early August, I think still in that first week, Don Orsillo breaks the news to Red Sox Nation that the Red Sox had hired Dave Dombrowski to be the president of baseball operations for the Red Sox. And Sherrington, you know, they were hoping he would stay, but understandably, you know, he didn't want to um, remain where he wasn't the top executive anymore. So Dombrowski gets fired a couple years later. They said they were going to do uh, a thorough search for the for his replacement, but the one and only guy they interviewed was Hein Bloom. They identified Tampa as an organization that gets good pitching. You know, they develop it and get good value out of their players. So Bloom was the one and only guy interviewed. And then he gets fired after almost four years. And then finally, they do cast this wide search for their next executive. And the list of names they wanted to talk to was elite. And some of those names, Brandon Gomes, Sam Fold, Kim Ang, Michael Hill, John Daniels, Derek Falvey. Chris Antonetti, Mike Hazen, Emil Sade, James Click. Click was probably the biggest name of them all. Won a World Series not even, what, 15 or 16 months ago with the Houston Astros. And all of them said, no, thank you. And I think we now know why. And I'm going to get to a quote here from Craig Breslow. And before I read it, it it really does give a lot of clarity. This winter has been one of massive confusion, mixed signals, misdirection. It's just been this epic clown show of a winter. And, you know, we're just trying to make sense of it. Much like we're trying to make sense of why all these people said no thank you to the Red Sox. So here's the quote from Breslow that I think gives it a lot of clarity. And again, this is from his interview with Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe. Breslow says, quote, 
As I've gotten to know this organization better through the conversations I've had with ownership, they absolutely are still supportive of assembling a World Series team as quickly as we possibly can. This next part is where it gets extremely damning. Breslow says, But I think the reality is that it's going to require a step forward from the young position players. It's going to require the build out of a talent pipeline of arms that we can acquire, we draft, and we can develop internally. So there you go. There never was a plan in place outside of Yamamoto, and I'm a little bit skeptical there, whether or not they really wanted to invest that much money in a starting pitcher. But that's why over the past four or five years, we haven't pursued marquee pitchers. That's why we haven't pursued the Kevin Gosmans out there. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And I think those 10 executives that I just listed off a minute ago also knew that. None of them were interested in coming to Boston and being the first ever executive to lead this front office as a smaller market team. And maybe I shouldn't say first ever because that was Heim. So they'd be the second ever. I don't think any of them were interested in taking this job with those kinds of constraints. And in working for an ownership group that's respected by essentially nobody. This ownership group has no friends. Nobody wants to play here. They can't attract free agents. They're not pursuing the marquee ones, obviously, but the mid-market ones, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, all these guys that they're interested in don't want to come here. And the Red Sox don't have the luxury of being highly undesirable and giving these guys, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, perhaps a couple of those pitching targets, they, they don't have the luxury of giving those guys their, the second or third best offer and then expecting them to actually want to sign here because they're going to take the best offer that they've gotten, not the semi-lowball offer Boston sent them. They're going to take the best offer, and that offer is probably going to come from a team that is demonstrating a strong commitment to winning. That's not what's going on in Boston. It's just maddening right now to see how this is all played out and to get those type of quotes from Breslow. This isn't going to work. This front office doesn't have the IQ to execute the plan that they are trying to execute. 
They just don't have it. And Breslow is literally their 11th choice. He was the one guy that was desperate enough to, to take the job and to accept the obstacles that they were going to put in front of him. None of those other guys and women uh, wanted, wanted that. They weren't willing to do it. Here's another thing that's super ironic. Lucas Giolito. Most of us wanted him. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I, I was definitely one of them. But he admitted in his introductory press conference that very few other teams were even interested in him. That's how the Red Sox were able to sign him because they had no competition. So Giolito comes to Boston. It's just maddening. And, and the frustrating thing is we've already botched it for next winter. Nobody, nobody's going to end up here this winter. That's going to make the next class of free agents go, you know what? Boston looks awesome now. Maybe I will go play for them because that's not going to happen. All these guys they've brought in are going to have basically a one or two year deal. And if we're in last place in July, they're all going to be talking about where they hope to be playing next year because, man, Boston, Boston is, is the shits. You know, it's just sad to see what this organization has become. The winter meetings, uh, excuse me, winter weekend uh, is this week. And initially, ownership had no intention of going, at least that we know of. And they took a beating in the last week, week and a half from the beat writers. And when I say the Red Sox have no friends, that includes the beat writers. The beat writers are not protecting any narratives for ownership. They're not defending the team in any way. They are, they're giving it to the team much like we are on social media. They're just doing it a little bit more cleanly and a little bit more tactfully than, than what's going on with social media. But ownership took a beat down and Apparently, as a result of that, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy, and Craig Breslow are all going to winter weekend in Springfield, where all these fans are set to go there and kind of mingle with everyone. They have these, you know, cool side events and, and all that. So they're they're gonna go and, and face the music because what choice do they have? The optics of of skipping it after last year's mob scene and then having this clown show of a winter that they've had, there's no way they can skip it. The one guy who is going to skip it is John Henry. He's got another commitment. I, I think he described it as a scheduling conflict. Which, again, is ironic because... 
the last major, I guess, event, for lack of a better term, that he also skipped was the Devers extension press conference to announce that. He didn't attend it. And if you listen to those solo shows that I did around Christmas, I did kind of speculate in there that it was my belief that the Red Sox had no intention of ever signing Devers long-term and giving him a massive deal. Uh, I'm speculating, but I, I believe they really thought there was a way where they would let him walk and somehow get out of paying him much like they did Mookie Betts. And part of where that belief comes from is if they really intended on extending Devers, why wouldn't they have learned from their lessons with Mookie and gotten the Devers deal done a couple years sooner when he could have been signed far cheaper when he had far less leverage. But they let him get all the leverage and it got to the point where it was going to be a massive PR hit on them. And I think the Red Sox caved and ultimately gave him that massive extension. And if they didn't give him that massive extension and they were willing to take the PR hit, they essentially would have had to have admitted a year sooner than what happened yesterday with Breslow that they had no intention of making those massive commitments that they wanted to develop guys internally. They, they would have had to have disclosed that a year ago, but they, they chose not to. So uh, another thing here too is I, I I'm beating a dead horse with this, but in a way, we kind of have to exonerate Heim Bloom. I don't think he did a good job, but regardless of how I feel, it it was an impossible situation. He was never gonna he was never gonna make this team a contender with the constraints that that he had. And one of my biggest gripes about Bloom is that. Not only was the major league pitching bad throughout his whole tenure, but he never developed anyone in the minors. And he was pulled out of the mecca of MLB pitching, which which is Tampa. I mean, that team has produced how many Cy Young winners? At least, what, three or four? And Snell, you know, won his second one this year with with the Padres. But they pulled him out of the mecca of MLB pitching And according to Zach Scott, who's a former Red Sox executive, he did some type of analysis where he ranked every organization's farm pitching, uh, excuse me, every organization's farm system based entirely just on pitching. And the Red Sox ranked 29th when it comes to pitching depth in the minors based on his analysis. And when you look at what we have, I mean, even if even if 29th isn't correct, it, it's still towards the bottom somewhere. I mean, we've got nobody in that farm system. So four years 
after you know bloom got hired the the pitching situation never got resolved internally yet yesterday we have breslow saying well that's the path so you're like two or three years away from the next brian bayo emerging maybe maybe you might not even have that guy anytime soon in the next six or seven years that that's why this is frustrating it's just this is the peak of my frustration uh you know in the in the last three or four years i i don't I've never been at at a loss for words like I am right now. It just doesn't seem like we're going to be a big market team anytime soon. Uh, I said on Twitter, Boston has become this toxic swamp with a black cloud over it. Nobody wants to sign here. I think even agents are just sick of dealing with the Red Sox. They're the ones that do the dirty work for all the free agents. They're the ones doing the intense negotiations. And then they have to turn around and say, well, this is the low ball offer the Red Sox have offered you. It's, (laughs) I, I I don't know how to really articulate my frustration any other way i'm just going through my notes now to make sure i haven't left anything out again this is these solo shows for me are challenging because i i don't you know charlie or cody would give a take i have time to regroup and reorganize my thoughts and and come back in with my next take but But another thing here is you look at Mookie Betts, that whole situation as a, as somewhat controversial and to a lot of people, the tragedy is, is that we didn't keep him, but I think in hindsight, the tragedy here with Mookie is that was the turning point. That was the turning point where free agents just didn't want to come here anymore because ownership didn't value their homegrown players. They didn't want to, they didn't want to pay them. I mean, the Red Sox, I mean, even before bloom in in breslow i mean jd martinez i don't think he really wanted to play here for five years 110 million i mean that that contract was far lower than what anyone expected and he seemed pissed off the whole time he was here that he had to he had to play for that contract and you know jason kelly points out that he would just disappear in the second halves of the season as if, you know, maybe he was quitting on the team. And Trevor Story signed here, but 
his market was probably very limited. He was a Colorado guy who had a massive strikeout problem. So that's why he ended up here. There's just not a track record, even before Breslow and, and Bloom, of, of free agents actually wanting to come here. And, and the other thing, too, is I think players within the organization get frustrated with ownership because every July, none of those guys ever truly think we're out of it. And they want more help. They want more reinforcements, more talent to be added to the team. And the Red Sox essentially stiff them. Only in two out of the last five or six years have they actually gotten help. One of them was 2018, Nathan Avaldi ended up being a, a major acquisition. And then 2021, Kyle Schwarber. All the other trade deadlines, you know, the front office kind of stiffed them. And I don't really recall being totally out of it during any of them deadlines. I mean, 2023, this past season, we were, what, four games out? We were right around five. Uh, we were right around even with the wild card in 2022. 2021 was actually a good year, but but there, there really hasn't been a year where we've definitely been out of it. Now, having said that, should we have sold those years? Yeah, possibly. I mean, there were reports last season we could have had Edward Cabrera from the Marlins for Justin Turner. That would have been a major asset a major long-term asset we could have gained. And now this winter, a guy like that is going to cost you one of your big three prospects, which by the way, Breslow said, I'm not willing to trade. He's not willing to trade our big three, <laughs> but here's the frustrating thing. They're all lefties. We've got tons of lefties already. Like I don't see how we can keep them all. You know, you, you probably have to keep two out of the three, but But again, I'm I'm just I'm just rambling at this point. You know, I think we're all just clinging to the very small possibility here that maybe something unforeseen could happen and that we can find a way to be competitive, but man, it's so bleak. It looks so bleak right now between ownership, not wanting to meet the asking prices of those free agents and then being undesirable. As I said, I just, we've botched it big time. This organization is a clown show. It's the biggest clown show of all the Boston teams. I mean, we're at the point where I think we're on the level of like Artie Moreno of the Angels and that Marlins front office, even though they've gotten better, still a clown show, I think, you know, to kind of take that job from Kim Ang and not pursue bigger name guys as well. I mean, they've made the playoffs how many times this decade? two or three times tops. So I think the Red Sox are in that class now. The Mets is another one. They always find a way to 
be a dumpster fire. I think that's where we're at. That's where we're at now. So winter weekend coming up. I think we'll all be curious to see if it is a massive shit show. I'm hoping it is not in a bad way. I mean, I don't want, I don't want people to light the place on fire or anything, but I want it to be a pretty jarring moment for, for ownership and, um, Breslow will have his first front row seat to something like that. And uh, we'll see what happens after it. But we're getting late here. I don't know when truck day is. I, I think it's in the next week and a half or so. And then players kind of start trickling down to Fort Myers uh, the first week of February. Workouts begin. And uh, right around the middle of the month, we play... I forget the schools at Boston college or whatever. We play a couple of college teams and, um, and you know, take off from there, you know, start building these guys up, but we still got all these holes in the roster and some of those free agents haven't signed. So like I said, we're just kind of clinging to the hope that something unforeseen does happen and that maybe this ownership group pivots, but, I, I I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong, but everyone have a good uh, rest of your week. I don't think we'll be back before Sunday night. So um hope everyone is, uh, you know, enjoying it. You do have football playoffs, so that's uh, something to be excited about. Mike McCarthy is going back to Dallas, so that's a head scratcher. But anyway, everyone take care, and we'll, uh, we'll be back soon.